This is my dear friend and my dentist, Mary Ellen Chalmers. She's, her CV is really long. She is practicing integrative and functional dentistry. And I suspect she'll explain what that means. She's a regular dentist from Tufts School of Dental Medicine. And then she was, just because she didn't have anything better to do, which is an understatement, She'll receive her master's in oral facial pain and oral medicine from the University of Southern California this year. She's a naturopath from the American Naturopathic Medical Association and the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry, as well as a certified functional medicine practitioner with IFM. The rest of her CV would take the rest of the hour. So we're just gonna go ahead and have the conversation. We've been friends for a really, really long time. Hi. Hi, since 2006. That's when I took that sport class in San Francisco. And what made you take that class? Sandra Megan and Patricia Lawless. Megan had been saying to me for a couple of years, because I think they got started around 2001, 2002 with you, 2001 with you. Yeah. And she started saying to me, because I was her patient and close friends with both of them, because We'd been in Berkeley for years. And she started saying to me, I think there's applications for dentistry in this. And I was so overwhelmed with starting the new practice up here in Santa Rosa. And we were building our house. And I had these two girls. And I was yeah, Kristen got injured playing soccer because, you know, that's both girls were highly athletic from eight or nine through college. And so she got injured. And it was a hip flexor and she got cleated up around her hip. And I took her in Pat. I think Patty was actually the one who treated her and the contusion went away. And I said, and she was able to play. She had a tournament coming, a big tournament coming up. And she was able to, they were talking about not having her play. She walked off the table. She was fine. And I said, what is this? And Megan said, this is what I've been telling you about. I have been talking to, she said, so there, and there was a, that was June and there was a, the sport class was in July. And she said, take that sport class. Pat and I are going to be there. Take the sport class with us. She said, I think there's applications for dentistry. And if there isn't, you'll have something that you'll be able to use with the girls because they're going to need this for, and they, of course they still do. But so that's how I got started was I started at the sport class and what hooked me was the cytokine paper. You had just published the cytokine paper. You had gotten the data. You had finished everything at NIH. You had just gotten the cytokine paper and that was ready to go. And it was watching that cytokine data because in my world, I had made the connection that our job, our primary job as dentists is to eradicate inflammation. Remember we talked, I used to talk about a mouth at peace before functional dentistry. I used to talk about creating this mouth at peace, that our job was to create a mouth where that wasn't inflamed, whether it was periodontal disease, whether it was reaction of the metals, whether it was mercury, whether it was root canals, whatever it was, we had to address those inflammatory factors within our patients and create a mouth that was uninflamed. And that's what hooked me was cytokine pain. And the thing that I remember was because you're a dentist, you wouldn't touch anybody. Now that was, I came back and took the core in December. That was a core. And so in December, you were dodging it. And I remember grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and saying, sit down and put your hands on this person's neck. And you went, (laughs) and, (laughs) but I love the phrase, a mouth at peace. That's what a wonderful way of describing reducing inflammation. That's just delicious. And that's what hooked you then too. I think that's when I think you said, because you and I used that same phrase back then, because that's that was my perspective. Now, of course, it's bigger and I have different language to describe how we interact and how we need to interact. That was the beauty of FSM. And 2006, December 2006, I took the core and then got a custom care, not a custom care, I had home care. All you have is a home care and an auto care. And you taught me how to manually program the auto care because there was nothing really short of a blue box. And, but I needed to be able to run automatic protocols while I was treating people. 
And I, to develop the dental protocols, I sat at the chair manually programming in to figure out the frequencies for all the dental protocols. So then I came back, my first lecture anywhere was for F for you in 2008 when I laid out the rationale for FSM in dentistry and where to use it and how to use it. There was something about from the mouth to the gut to, it was about how health starts in the mouth and the digestive system and how all that is connected and how FSM can help. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the other, exactly. It was how we can eradicate oral inflammation and using FSM as a tool to do that. We, I used it with periodontal surgery patients right off the bat. I used it with implant patients. It was the implant patient was how you wound up treating horses because, oh. yeah, I don't want to say her name because of HIPAA, but that's how it's already in the book. It's already in the book. She gave us permission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was an implant. It was an implant patient of mine. And that, then it was orthodontia. So that was Jackie. Yeah. And that's what led to the patent was I, and it was new injury. Jackie did phase one where you just have the four brackets in the front and the little wires and she was miserable and she made John and I miserable. And so when we were looking at phase two where they put her whole mouth in appliances, we thought, oh, we're never gonna survive this. This is just gonna be- It's Jackie. be bald by the time she's a month in. So as a lark, I thought, shoot, why don't I, why, why don't I? So I put two pads here and two pads, actually I didn't, I put gauze. I got alligator clips and figured out, we put gauze in her mouth, wet gauze in her mouth and electrodes on the back of her neck. And I ran new injury because we didn't, I had dental protocols, but we didn't have custom care at that point. This is, this is February, 2007. Just before it came out. Yeah. Just before the custom care came out. We, yeah. And that was a game changer for dentistry was to have the custom cares, but no, I put the electrodes on. And we ran it and we never heard from her. I don't know for any of you who've ever had braces, it's excruciatingly painful, especially for the first few weeks, because as you're putting pressure against that periodontal ligament, all the sensory fibers, what you're putting pressure in order to stimulate the osteoclasts and the osteoblasts. But in the meantime, the sensory nerve fibers are just on fire. And it's, I still remember from when I had my braces on at 12. So we put it on, she never, she had no pain. And I thought that's great and completely missed her six, her six week retie. I, we were busy and went, oh my gosh, 12 weeks in, I went, oh gosh, I better get her back there. So we took her back. She'd been in the appliances for three months. Orthodontist came out and said, oh my gosh, she looks amazing. And I said, oh, that's nice. And then she said, yeah, and everything has moved so quickly. We're putting her in rectangular wires in a month. And I thought, oh gosh, isn't that cool? And I started to walk away and then it hit me that it, it was the FSM, that basically it rectangular, so they put round wires. You have a bracket that's rectangular and a round wire just minimally engages the bracket and it's to induce a softer, more gentle force rather than when you put in a rectangular wire, you actually lock in the bracket and that's when you really can start to tip and torque and move the teeth. It normally rect rectangular wires are put in anywhere from six to nine months. So we were dramatically ahead of schedule. And in fact, Jackie finished a two-year treatment plan a year. And I, I said to the orthodontist when she said, yeah, she's going in rectangular wires. I said, I've been, we've been using this frequency specific microcurrent. And she said, what does it do? And I said, it eradicates inflammation. And she's had absolutely no pain with her braces. And she said to me, that doesn't make any sense. You, we have to have inflammation in order to be able to move teeth. And I said, yeah, but what if you don't? Yeah, what if yeah, you, yeah. at the end of the day, you really don't? And yeah. so then I dove in and it's actually working on the IL-1 beta and all of the inflammatory cytokines. I think that it has the, it, I think it, because it's IL-1 beta, so people with the IL-1 beta SNPs are going to get the shortening of roots. I think it has real efficacy. And that's, so when I happened to mention this to our dental supply rep, he's the one that said, shut up right now, patent it. 
because it we were within the one year and everything else. And you hadn't lectured yet. Hadn't lectured yet. Exactly that. The patent was put into, because I was lecturing in February 2008, and the patent was, we had a provisional patent in a hurry because I, this all, I think it was January when he said, you better patent it. And I remember having a conversation with you and we didn't think it could be done. Actually, no, it was the fall. It was the fall of 2007. And my sister Eileen had a patent attorney, happened to have a patent attorney because we yours said, oh, no way it could be done. My sister Eileen happened to have a patent attorney over for Christmas and was talking to him about that, that we had figured this out and nobody else in dentistry was using it. And he's the one that said, they, they, he said, have her give me a call. And so I gave him a call after the first of the year. And he said, I don't know, let me think about it. And he called back two days later. I was in that office and everything went from there. But yeah. There's just so people listening, because we have both practitioners and patients, just so people listening, when you can't patent, number one, you can't patent something after you've taught it. So FSM was not patentable. For you. In medicine, you can't patent a medical procedure. So if you develop a new way of doing gallbladder surgery, you can't patent your surgical technique. But if your surgical technique can require a gadget, you can patent, in medicine, you can patent the gadget that it takes to do your special surgical technique. So that's the way medicine works. And the way Mary Ellen patented, or Dr. Chalmers patented, FSM and dentistry is that there's something called the dental exclusion. So dentistry is exempt from the patent rules that regulate medicine. So we patented the intellectual property. We patented the application of the frequencies from 0.1 or zero to 999. Yeah. With my protocols. Yeah. And so that's how it is you came to have the Ruth Johnston Award in 2009. 14. 14. It has to be an hour. 13. 9, 11, 13. Somewhere. Uh, Yeah. Talk about, you make the distinction between, and this is fascinating to me, we have two two avenues I want to explore. The difference between biological dentistry which always makes you make funny faces and (laughs) (laughs) integrative dentistry, which is what saved my life. And then what it is that you're gonna be talking about at the symposium about how head, neck and face pain and the neurology of head, neck and face pain affects what we do with FSM, but practitioners and patients alike the difference between biological dentists functional and dentistry. functional dentistry. Yeah, I put integrative dentistry in because it just means I work with a bunch of different practitioners. I'm going to work with these DOs, DCs, acupuncturists, head and neck. We work with a variety of practitioners, but it's really functional dentistry. And dentistry really had its birth when Lisa Pratera Perry, Lisa Pratera and I started practicing together. And we were, she was treating you and I was treating you from 2010 to 2013. And what functional dentistry does is it actually allows us to individualize and personalize care using the functional medicine matrix and the timeline, antecedents, triggers, mediators. How it's different from biological dentistry is that what, I think biological dentistry is a wonderful place to start. It's critical. I think everybody should be at a minimum a biological dentist. The principle is that our mouths are attached to the rest of our bodies. I think we all agree with that. Though it's when I think back as to how much we've changed in 15 years. When I took AFMCP in 2008, Tom O'Brien was talking about the gut. And for all the IFM graphics, the gut stopped here or started here. This whole part of the gut was not. Yeah. So it's a good start because it it acknowledges that the mouth is attached and has direct impact on the rest of the body and that it's incumbent upon us 
to use biologically, compa biologically compatible materials, that we need to restore patients with biocompatible materials. What functional dentistry is, and Lisa and I started out calling it functional medicine-based dentistry and a functional, we toyed with a bunch of different names, but it was really in 2013 when I developed the matrix, the functional dentistry matrix, which anybody who's taken an IFM class is aware of, that we really, it, it's morphed into functional dentistry. And it's the application of functional medicine which one of the tenets of biological dentistry is absolutely no metals in your mouth. I don't, and I don't believe that. And I think that it's, it depends if you're an autoimmune response to metals, then you shouldn't have that particular metal. But there's a man within IAOMT, the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, of which I've been a member for many years. It's a wonderful biological dental organization. Jess Clifford, who developed the Clifford test, he, his perspective was it isn't the fact of the metals, it's the dissimilar metals that are at issue. And so mercury is not a problem? Mercury is a problem. Okay. Nobody should have mercury in their mouth. No, nobody should have mercury in their mouth. Mercury is a toxin. Mercury is a metal, but it's also above and beyond a toxin. But what metals do they use for fillings that aren't mercury? We use something called enormouser. We use VOCO. There's composite resin, but the problem with a lot of the composite resins is that they contain BPA. So there are materials out there that are BPA, BPS, and phthalate-free. We use a VOCO product in our office. We've been using it since January of 2016, and it's wonderful. It lasts and lasts. It's very aesthetic. And then in addition, we're, we are using ceramic implants. The ceramic implants are tricky. And if the, it's they're not equivalent to titanium implants. We do have patients with lot, with titanium implants, but I'm very careful to use like Strauman. And I have no commercial affiliation with any of these companies whatsoever. It's just what we use here and what we found to work well. But I mean, for, you're a perfect example, if you don't mind me. I was every, gonna the only metal you have in you is titanium because we took everything else out. So it's when you have the... It, just let me interrupt. Just so everybody knows our background, I had a stent in 2007. And by then you were already my dentist. And you said, that doesn't make sense. You don't have any risk factors. This is single vessel, single lesion. What's going on? So we went to Stanford and we did a CT scan. Red Very, and then in 2000, was it eight or nine? It was before my, it was right after my first hip surgery, I think. So it would have been January, February, January of 2009, maybe March of 2009. We did the CBCT. Yeah, the 3D cone bean came out. And what you were looking for was an infection in my mouth that was causing heart disease, which is a completely new concept for anybody for my cardiologist for my gp for anybody that's listening the fact that root canals never fail never don't fail and you were looking for something in my mouth that caused me to have a 99 percent blockage of the lad and there it was and the hip deterioration oh yeah and i needed my that was it was after my right hip it must have been just before my left hip or something and it's, that's it, you found it. So that's when we started nine jaw surgeries. Yeah. Something like that and lots well, of implants. Lots of implants. For metals allergy. We did, we tested you for metal allergy and you came back positive for metal allergy. At the same time, Lisa tested you for methylation defects. And she and I had already put together this piece that if we see a patient with, that, that, that a methylation defect, a metal allergy, we the third part of this is celiac. And it was, we, we took a look at that and you up until that point had no idea that gluten wasn't your friend. No. No. So it's a pattern that we've seen over and over again, this pattern between methylation defects, metal allergy and celiac. And it goes the other way. If they've got a methylation defect and we've diagnosed them as a celiac, you better be darn careful that they're, that about metals and implanted metals. So that's an application of functional dentistry where we're not using this absolute rule that nobody should have metal, but 
making sure and the only metal that works for you because you were allergic to gold you were allergic to nickel that's why all the gold had to come out but you did really well with titanium and yeah and so it's I remember the conversation with the orthopedist who you know (laughs) that was hilarious I'm sitting there with six fractures between here and there and drugged on fentanyl he has he comes in at three o'clock and says, we're going to do your shoulder surgery tonight at six. And I said, what kind of hardware are you going to use? He said, stainless. And I said, no, you're not. And he said, why not? And he said, I'm allergic to chromium. There's just a little bit of chromium. I said, that's like being a little bit pregnant. Then the fentanyl hit. I dialed you and I said, Mary Ellen, he, need, he wants to use stainless. And then I said, yeah, you talk to him. And hand him the phone. You should have seen the look on his face. He did his surgeon thing. Whoa. And then you started talking and he went, oh. And then he was really quiet for 30 minutes. And then he hung up the phone. I came to and said, he said, yeah, I have to find titanium hardware and have it be here by noon tomorrow. And so he did. It's an amazing surgeon. But it was that conversation. And it's actually well accepted now within the orthopedic literature. This year's presentation, I annually, I'm part of the environmental health team at IFM for the advanced practice modules. And I've got, but in the early days when I was presenting this material, I was presenting dental studies around metal allergy. Now I'm presenting orthopedic studies. And ortho, yeah, and orthopedic studies that are actually saying that this MELISA test, this lymphocyte transformation test, the LT test, which identifies delayed type four hypersensitivity reactions, that is actually better than a patch test. And there's evidence about that, and it's there's all kinds of literature well, about IDE that. is not usually the problem. It's IgG. It's I- like. It's and actually, it's this is that isn't it isn't even IgG. It's lymphocytes. It's T cells. Oh my gosh! Delayed type four hypersensitivity is T is your T cell reaction, and IgG is another part of it. But the problem with dentists is, and God bless Jess Clifford. I love the man. I learned he passed away a couple of years ago. He was just he was an incredible human being and a brilliant man and lecturer. And what he, he taught me so much about metals. It's basically electrochemistry. We divide that anode and cathode table. And when you, when you've got titanium at one end and mercury in the middle, and then your gold or platinum down at the other end, you can set off these tremendous arcs and batteries. And I remember we, you you had that going on. What we, what did you tell, it was, it was your potential meter that Neil Nathan was the one who had me. Yeah get that he because I worked very closely with him when he was practicing in Santa Rosa and he called me one day 2009 he said I want you to start testing current in the head and I my first thought was really really he said Mary Ellen I'm not talking about EAV electroacupuncture according to bowl he said I don't want any of that he said I just simply want to know is there a battery going on at the base of my patient's brain and when he put it that simply, because as he, which he does, right? He just, he dials it all down into simplistic little, I said, oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe you should be paying attention to that. And I was, of course, immersed in, in developing the protocols on FSM and everything at that point. We're talking 15 years ago. So it all made sense. And particularly if we were going to talk about efficacy for frequency specific microcurrent here, if we had competing galvanic currents, I don't know if I don't know if there's a study. It just, to me, intuitively, we should get rid of the galvanism in patients' mouths. And so that's part of our exam. We check for that routinely. And patients with galvanically active mercury, it's a real simple cell to have them understand why that particular lesion needs to come out. But the other thing that this, that functional dentistry does is it, for example, with our patients with hypertension, we have the conversation about the 2011 Mark Houston paper that talks about hypertension and mercury and the fact that it da- that the mercury actually damages the endothelium and, and will lead to hypertension. And so when we're talking with an autoimmune patient, that's the biggest change, I think, our biggest, inking many more papers on the effect that mercury has on autoimmunity. And in terms of ANA, elevated ANA, preclinical symptoms. That's in Haynes data from 2015. So 
we're having conversations about patients' disease and then to, and relating that to what the different ways in which their mouth is be restored or the disease they're exhibiting. And then functional FSM comes in there. It's, it's FSM and functional medicine. I mean, they are, it's, yeah, and that the results together are exponentially more than. I don't know how you can do one without the other. Correct. Functional medicine is awesome, but it takes too long and it costs too much. And FSM by itself, without the stable state that's created with a functional medicine approach to health and a stable state, FSM by itself won't hold most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so you combine the two and each one, it's synergistic. Synergistic, it is. Yeah. 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 Speaking of which, I just need there's Kevin has a question. What frequencies would you use to treat a potential root canal? And I don't know what your answer is, but my answer is none. Exactly that. We do not treat infection, period, end of discussion. And you can correct me. No, I'm not, because we figured that out in 2009. Remember, that was my 2009 presentation. We had so with the use of FSM here, I had periodontist using it in her practice. We had Eric Gordon and Gordon Medical using it, but we were, it was really being widely used within Santa Rosa. Periodontist who was using it had a patient, you put in an implant on a patient in an upper molar and within 24 hours, that patient was in the ER on IV vancomycin with a very serious infection. And our first response, because remember you and I having this conversation, our first response was, ooh, how do we know about these deep space infections? And where we came to was that what would have happened if we hadn't used FSM is that she probably would have had a failure of the implant here. She would have developed chronic health issues that these deep space infections, and I'll be talking about the fascial planes and deep space infections during my presentation. It'll be a little bit, most of it, it's going to be about pain pathways. But if we, without running FSM in these deep space infections, they're all encompassed by scar tissue and fascia. And by running the frequencies for fascia, we allow these infections to drain. It was inflammation. You treated her f- to reduce inflammation. 42, 41, 42. Yeah, yeah. And then she ended up. And then you came back the next year and said, remember last year when I said we shouldn't run inflammation if there's infection? This year I'm telling you, you have to run 40 or reduce inflammation to discover the infection. And there's no way to fix the infection unless you remove the inflammation that's encapsulating it. Encapsulated, yeah. 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 So, and FSM is critical for that. So, it's evolved. We learned a lot. We learned a lot in those few years. But with respect to root canals, so how I use it currently in my practice, we developed that surgical systemic protocol that we treat patients with when they're having dental work done it the kidneys the liver it's basically supporting the adrenals liver kidney and then concussion at the end and the patients do very well particularly i have had used it a lot to treat Lyme pain medic my medically compromised patients who find it difficult just to sit in the chair and have their dentistry done we use it with surgery surgical cases surgical cases it's magic yeah you don't the the patient with the implant you could see that there was an incision made, but there was no swelling, there was no redness, there was no bleeding. And you knew you could open up and see that there was a surgical site, but it was simply a line where the incision was with sutures. There was no obvious, no other evidence of trauma. So when I tell people, it's like, I've had nine jaw surgeries. So we had five to take out the infection and the failed root canals. And then another four to put in implants and do this and that. And but we didn't understand at that point. But there was no no swelling, no bruising, yeah. no pain. And we were by then you had developed the surgical systemic protocol. So I didn't even have an anesthesia hangover. So it was pretty fun. It was fun. And I think what we ultimately understood with you, though, is it was the mold, right? Eventually, what? Yeah. So, but 
And that's an important piece. I well, have a the, what happens just so everybody is on the same page. 2014, I'm sitting there with Neil Nathan eat, eat, 15, eating lunch, taking my digestive enzymes. And he said, why are you taking digestive enzymes? And I said, I am in pancreatic failure. I have no, I don't make amylase. I don't make lipase. So I just take enzymes. And he said, you need to come see me. So I came in June to see him. And he said, I want you to test your gag reflex. Well, I didn't have one. My palate didn't raise. He said, your vagus nerve doesn't work. He tested me for mold. I had stachybotrys exposure, probably in 1998, accommodated for it for years, and then had a re-exposure in 14. And what ended up happening was the jaw infection. When Jarvis did it, you could see a fistula. Well, everything was into well. the sinus. Right. The infections were communicated with the sinus. And then on the right side, it was like a screen. It wasn't a fistula. There were multiple holes through the lamellar bone up into the base of the sinus. Then there was biofilm. Then there was mold. Then there was biofilm. And then there was an aerobic infection. So I had the layer cake of anaerobic from the jaw, mold, a biofilm mold, and then aerobic. So I was on antibiotics for six years from 14, maybe 13 until 2019 was when we finally got it. But it was the combination of all of them that we had to deal with. Like, why are you on antibiotics for six years? Because I have a bone infection. So I was on oral antibiotics for the bone infection caused by the root canals. I was on nasal spray and binders for the mold infection that was layered on top of it. And I'd say with actually starting about four or five years ago, I started treating the vagus every night to turn it back on. And so it all plays together. It does. It does. I have a, this will be one of the cases that I present. I've got a bunch of cases to present both at the symposium and at, with the advanced and patient with six root canals in her maxilla. And the, and this is, so I'm going to talk more a little bit about root canals and the push pull that we have, but the saying in our office is root canals are good till they're not. And we, I don't advocate taking them all out. I, the infection, I once had a patient, patient participant in a seminar say to me, why do you even, you hate all root canals. And my late husband was an endodontist, right? And he was very much a part of this. You know, he retired in 2012, referring to himself as a preacher that didn't believe in God anymore. And he was a part of all of this, but we have, we've made significant strides with respect to eradicating the pathogens. Valerie Cantor in LA is really leading the charge with that. She's Mercola interviewed her actually two years ago now, a year it was either this past January 21 or January 22. So I'm not an advocate of root canals per se, though it is important. There's There was studies that started being published in 2010. So let me just say, I'm not an advocate of root canals, but I'm more mushy on those than I am mercury. Mercury, nobody should have mercury in their head. They just, there's dental schools. Some of the dental schools aren't even teaching it anymore. My younger daughter is a third year at UCLA, she's going to get through UCLA without having to put mercury in a patient. Right. Um, yeah. And they don't even have it in the pediatric clinic. The FDA stance on mercury dramatically broke lockstep with the FDA in 2020, September of 2020, finally. Oh, yeah. That's so, with respect to the brain and this concept of proprioception, that when we tap our teeth together, there's proprioceptive impulses that are go to the hippocampus. And it's a long body of research. I could talk for 20 minutes just simply about that research. But it really, the, the old biological dentists were, again, Jarvis has done so much to Dr. Bob Jarvis to, because when they were taking these teeth out and just raising the bone and patients couldn't have implants and it was really problematic. So 
in our patients that are nearly edentulous, one or two teeth, it can't be infected. You have to manage the infection. If there's a periapical radiolucency, don't. On 3D cone beam or x-ray? Oh, either. 3D cone beam is going to be much more sensitive. If there's a periapical radiolucency, bye-bye. I am not a fan of retreatment. It just, it simply doesn't work. I maybe if you have a patient that bumped their front tooth, that if they needed a root canal on a front tooth because of trauma, there was no infection. They don't, emotionally, they can't lose the front tooth. Root canal was probably not done well when they were a child. You could, we might see those teeth recover, but it's, we tell patients, fine, do it, but no, it's a temporary fix. And it's a terrible financial investment. You're, you may as well just take it out and put an implant in. And that's more my perspective on that. However, Val Cantor has made, and she's using frequency-specific microcurrent in her office. Yay. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, she is. So all of her patients are getting it and using it. We're, she's using it too right now. And again, this will be another case that I present where we have a auricular cancer case with 70 gray of radiation. And there's a defect. Stanford actually was going to reconstruct her mandible with her fibula. But when she was told that she would never walk the same again, she said, I need another way. So actually we're using FSM, we're using ozone, we're using PRF and Val's laser. And this is a patient with osteoradionecrosis. Yeah. But so with when you have your osteoradionecrosis patients, you take that tooth out, it's a disaster. It's just a disaster. So we are endodontically treating those teeth, but they're being treated with ozone. They're being treated with a laser. They're being treated with a gentle wave, all of these advanced technologies. So to have a run-of-the-mill root canal done at a general dentist or an endodontist, very picky about the endodontist we use because they have to have invested in the advanced technologies because standard endodontics just doesn't cut it. And the literature is full of studies, systematic reviews, very high quality studies that talk about the level of systemic infection with respect to endodontic lesions and and endodontically treated teeth. Speaking of infections, David has, Shen has a question. Tooth extraction due to root canal gone bad. We're talking about this on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. I saw it. Waiting for antibiotics to fully work both bone graft to fully broke back. If I remember correctly, it takes six weeks for bone to heal. You need a minimum of six months. I remember. You you waited six months. It's five to six months. So your bone heals, but it doesn't, that socket isn't fully filled in for a minimum of six months. You have to, it's the, it's all about the integrity and the quality of the bone. Sometimes they can do an implant in four to five months. We're always safe. We wait six months. And integration. I remember going almost a year with no molars. That timeline really hasn't changed much in this office. No, it's like, I'd rather have, I'd rather have an implant into healthy, solid bone. And even at that, we had one fail. Remember this one over here, whatever this one was. Immediate implants are a possibility. Seriously? How do you do that? If you remove an infected tooth and you put it- Oh, no, no, not an infected tooth. No, you've got someone who have a patient who doesn't have a root canal, the tooth broke off at the gum line to carry, oh, so going to take yeah. it out, put it back in. Yeah. Have you ever seen FSM on its own resolve an infected root canal? No. Uh, me either. David says he was. And I, nor have I been able to get FSM to regenerate the pulp. My biggest hope in the early days was that we'd be able to, because I had some pulpal inflammation protocols, that we'd be able to intervene and stop that pulpal death. Now, Val and I are working on it, and we she's written some protocols, and I'll have to check in. I can check in with her before I speak. Wouldn't um, it make more sense to run the frequencies for infection to change cell signaling around the infectious agents? So we've got, what are the normal, what are the infectious agents that have, uh, occur in the mouth? What's, I had Entamoeba. You had amoeba, you had staph, you have see everything. We can, it can be HPV. Staph, strep, all of it. And mycotoxins. And, and mycotoxins. And we weren't running frequencies for mycotoxins. And you had mycotoxins is part of it. So there's just the number of organisms is just massive. But particularly if you look at the oral, the oral microbiome, we're be, really beginning to understand. They've identified back in 2015, we started to identify the pathogens within the oral microbiome. And now we're having a better understanding of how the pathogens change 
and with or not how the pathogens change, but how the flora changes, depending upon whether you've got a cancer patient versus a periodontal patient versus the changes in the oral microbiome is significantly different dependent on that. It would be, that's my dream. Be so, though we, I will say we're very, using ozone, we don't, we do not, we do not expose the nerve. So when I'm treating a person with deep decay, if they don't have obvious symptoms, I'll remove as much as I feel comfortable with because I don't want to actively expose the nerve. That typically doesn't work out very well. But if even if I leave a thin, a millimeter or two of tooth structure that's got some infection, we ozonate, ozonate. And then I use a, it's a product called BC Liner, which is a glass ionomer based product. And sometimes I'll use another product called Endosequence but we'll use something that goes then on top of these deep areas to remineralize the tooth structure and then put a composite or Ormacer or Ormacer or Boco products on top of that and put a provisional crown on. And very rarely do we have teeth go to endo. I used to run frequencies in those instances. And I don't at this point anymore because what would happen is we'd end up, if it was a tooth that was gonna die, it would die of a painless death because we take, we get rid of the inflammation. Excuse me. We get rid of the inflammation, but the nerve, the nerve would still die and we'd still end up, we'd take an x-ray six months later and there'd be a periapical radiolucency in the bone. Did you ever use the frequencies for infection? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And inflammation. Yeah. Pardon? You'd inf use the frequencies for infection and inflammation. And the whole yeah, I think maybe tweaking it. Val had some thoughts. My honestly, when I Val and I started to work on it, and I was knee deep in this master's program that I've just finished. So I think that will circle back around. I we are all very glad that you're finished with your master's program. <laughs> <laughs> Dissertation done. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I think that will resurface again, and I can take a look at it and have more bandwidth to work with. But it, I needed this piece for my education to be able to really put the FSM functional medicine pieces together and to have that foundational academic understanding of oral facial pain, oral medicine, central pain. It's, it was a rigorous program. What was your dissertation on? It was 18 cases, right? It was 18 cases it was a, remember I showed you some of the cases when you were at my house earlier this earlier this year. So it was 18 cases. They ranged in anything from that cancer case that I told you about. Another case that I'm going to be presenting was a patient that had a she had an, an antralith, a big polyp in the sinus, corticated. It was remains from a root canal extraction that didn't go well. There were tooth fragments in there. There was mercury in there. There was gutta percha. It was just this nasty mess. And everybody kept injecting her with ozone. And it wasn't until she got to Bridget Foss, Brigitte Foss, who started, who referred her to me. And I went, this is corticated. So we had Jarvis do the surgery and took it out. Bridget did the FSM and he did, took it out. He did ozone, he bone grafted, but the FSM made a huge difference because she was in chronic pain. And she had, she also had two different types of parasites. Her gut was a mess. So that'll be a case I'll be presenting in detail. Tinnitus. I, this is my, my now, my research paper at USC was on tinnitus and TMD and the dramatic link between the two. And I think, well, treating the tensor valley palatini and the tensor tympani, both of those muscles are dramatically affected during tinnitus. So I think FSM has a foothold in there. I'm anxious to get going on that. I think we need to use FSM with burning mouth. I mean, burning mouth, a lot of burning mouth, it, traditional, there's a lot of reasons patients co complain about burning mouth. The gold standard burning mouth, burning tongue, where they do the tongue biopsy, it's due to neural atrophy. So why can't we treat that, right? We yeah. do. Just when you look up burning mouth, it says it has something to do with food allergies. Oh, that too. It can't. Burning mouth is a, so a diagnosis of burning mouth is a diagnosis of exclusion. Yeah. But there's also, there's a feature where the nerve fibers have atrophy. Basically it's phantom limb pain for your tongue. Yep. Yeah. I'll be damned. Limb pain is easy. 
exactly 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 so you just have to understand is it a nutritional deficiency we're dealing with it is it a b12 deficiency that we're dealing with we there, it, and i can so i have a burning mouth case that we can talk about and all the different you know what there i basically have a four-step diagnosis that we, we start with the low-hanging fruit right and then we go from there but there's a i have a way in which i progressively rule out burning mouth but traditional oral medicine or oral facial pain, pain, God bless them, they're treating it with, we're going to clonazepam, right? We're going to do our clonazepam or clonazepam, clonopin, the switch. Switch clonopin, spit it out because you don't want to swallow it. You're going to get addicted. But that's basically how they're treating it. And work? well, yeah, it works, but you're the, there's long-term consequences with that systemically. So there's so much that FSM can add to this field of oral facial pain and oral med or mucositis. Look at with the throat cancer patients and we don't have patients have oral mucositis anymore. So it's just, it, so my, the 18 cases were a range of cases. I was very fortunate. The program director, he, what I learned from one of my friends who, a functional medicine friend, Andrea Ellenboss, who preceded me in the program was shot down routinely. And she said, don't let anything come out of your mouth unless you've got studies to back it up. And of course, having presented for IFM now for 13 years, I did. And I know how to talk the literature. And you're all about the literature, right? FSM is all about science, the science of the scientific literature. So it was easy for me. And so every case had an element of, of medicine. And the majority of the cases also had an element of frequency-specific microcurrent. And so there's presenting the literature with that along ozone, but staying within a traditional oral facial pain, oral medicine diagnosis, but using some of these different modalities to be more effective in our treatment. And they accepted the FSM part of the case reports? I have data, right? He's, and because you can't, the science doesn't lie. When I have your neuropathic pain paper, when I have the cytokine data paper, when, when I presented the data and the papers to go with my treatment rationale, how they do you argue? And people get better. How do you, yeah. How do you argue with that? That's so. so exciting. It's fun. It's fun. And yeah, it's just, I'm nowhere near ready to retire. So. I know the feeling. Oh, David, I think we've already answered this. David said he's always wondering if FSM alone could have returned the remaining 60% of the lost jawbone due to infection. We'll put back what's not there. Yeah, can't get it done, not when it's infected. Because what people need to understand is that the first thing the anaerobic bacteria do, you taught me this, the root of the tooth is like straws and you take the nerve out so it doesn't hurt, but you can't sterilize the straws. The technology that Val's using can. She's got unpublished UCLA research showing 98 to 99%. I'm not gonna use the word sterility because it's not sterile, but disinfection. So we're better at it. Before, old root canals, like the anaerobic bacteria go out into the bone, kill the blood supply, and end of story. You, you can't build back bone without blood supply and the blood supply, the bacteria take care of. Is that correct? Correct. And would you say that FSM would stimulate angiogenesis? Do we stimulate angiogenesis? I know ozone stimulates angiogenesis. There's a medication called pentoxifene with vitamin E that stimulates angiogenesis. So maybe that's why Val is using plasma PRF stem cells. Yeah. In this woman with that, we're actually, we, FSM is playing a very vital part there in maintaining the inflammation. My, the osteo is using the osteonecrosis protocols that we've developed. Yeah. So it's an integral part of it, but you've got to have an agent that's stimulating angiogenesis. And I don't know that in and of itself alone, it will do that. And- I don't know. We'll find out. We have two minutes left, and that gives me time to ask you. So we have now a number of dentists that have taken the FSM course. Yay. Yeah, like it's we're into double digits of dentists. Yeah. And the next question they always ask is, when is there going to be a course for dentists? I have to begin with now. 
it, huh? I have the bandwidth now. Yeah. You have the bandwidth. Now that you have your master's finished. So I promise everybody that we're going to talk about that. We don't have dates yet, but we have a plan. And it's and I think the collaboration, I'm excited actually, because it was pretty, I was a lone wolf for a while. But to the, the, what I think what I have seen with functional dentistry, I think we'll also see with FSM is that the, it's the collaborative knowledge. With If we can get a dental group together, we may be able to figure out these issues of how to, what are our protocols for growing bone back? Maybe we can keep those teeth working with Val because she's her, she's all about regenerative endodontics. So what role can FSM play in regenerative endodontics? Because we know it affects cell signaling. So as we dive deeper into these emerging topics, I think I, I think the future is limitless. I really do. Oh, that's so exciting. And I'm I'm excited that you got Val on board and you have the bandwidth and you have the connections in the dental world and the functional medicine world to bring all three of them together to do what you're doing with FSM and dentistry. I'm excited. It's just, as I said, it, it's work is not work. It's just fun. It's fun. It's, fun. it's why we do this. Exactly. It's four o'clock. I told you this would be the fastest hour of the week. This will be fun. <laughs> And I think we got, Alf says, thank you for a wonderful webinar. Yay. And I, that's no questions. So we're all good. Well, I look forward to seeing everybody in February. I'll see you in February. Thanks okay. so much. All righty. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.